Hello and welcome back to the Cyclist Magazine podcast. I'm Emma and I'm here with the lovely Robin Davidson. Thank you so much. What a wonderful introduction that is. You're very welcome. And I mean, Robin, we've got a very kind of Robin themed podcast guest, maybe. I don't know how to put it. But basically, this podcast, we've got a very special track guest on. And I must admit, I don't know much about track. I've never tried the track. I should try the track. That is on me, I know. But Robin, you used to cycle the track. Track cycle. How do we even say it? Um, I used to be a track cyclist, or you could say I used to I used to track cycle. I mean, that sounds weird, but so maybe just the first one to be honest. But yeah, it was it was so much fun. Um, my parents used to wake up at like five a.m. every other Saturday. Uh, we'd eat some breakfast and then travel to the Manchester Velodrome because we lived in Preston at the time, so it was like an hour ish driving. It was very very fun. What about track did you like? I think it's just because it was such a different discipline. So I grew up as a kid, probably until like I was about five years old, on an RAF base. So the only thing really to do as a kid was just cycle around and around and around my street in a circle, which inadvertently probably helped with me then becoming a track cyclist. I uh, I was inspired by the 2012 Olympics, so... Laura, well, not Laura Kenny, Laura Trott at the time. Now she's Laura Kenny. Joe Rousel, who's now a good friend, which is very, very crazy. Um, People like that. Just, I was like, I want to do this. And then I did. And like, can you tell us a bit about the different track disciplines? Yeah. So you can have, say, I'm going to shorten this really like non-technically, but you could maybe have sprints or endurance So a lot of people, you might turn on, say you're watching it on TV and be like, what on earth's going on? That's usually an endurance race. So say, for example, the Madison, that's a race over X amount of laps for men and women. And it's the one where you hand sling even your partner and there's bonus laps and all of that to take, I don't know, maybe an individual pursuit. It's more of like a individual time trial against the against the clock really and if you were to look at these sprinting ones you could literally just have say a two-up sprint maybe a maybe a fun little track stand thrown in there although I never I never did track stands didn't get to that track level. stand <laughs> I actually I went to uh, the Lee Valley Velodrome a while back and watched track cycling in all its glory and it was it was actually amazing and I think I was kind of taken aback by yeah, how captivating it is and how incredible the athletes are, the cyclists are. It's, it's, it's an incredible sport. And I do feel like, yeah, it doesn't have the same awareness, maybe the same coverage that other cycling disciplines do have. Yeah, I think everyone, even if you don't know cycling, you probably know about or of the Tour de France. But say, you know, you're talking to someone in the street, they're like, oh, do you know what the Madison is? They might think you're talking about a person. And I'm yeah, like, no. <laughs> I think it's one of the cycling, you know, distributors. No, but obviously I know it's track cycling. Um, um, but obviously there's also the hour record that is done on the track, which is another quite a cool track cycling thing. And I feel like that does get quite a lot of coverage. Yeah, I think it does purely because, to not sound ridiculous, it's like one person going for it at one time. So you know how far in advance like this person will then be training for it because they'll say, I want to do the hour record. 
<laughs> so there's so much that goes into was that. Was that you saying that? She, that? Yeah, that was my impression of like <laughs> Philippe Ogana or something, or Dan Bigham. Like that was how I envisioned how... to say it. <laughs> I want to do the hour record. Like they just wake up one day and think that. <laughs> but there's more of like a, a bigger process to it where you can then follow along. They'll have like aerodynamics involved. That would be huge in the hour record. It's just such a large event, I think, because with track cycling, there's a fair few events like the six days or there's like the track World Cup or there's more events, but to maybe a lesser fanfare than the hour record. But yeah, it's just a it's such a big, all encompassing world is track cycling. Well, let's dig in. I want to get our guest on. Sounds brilliant. So today we have Nia Evans on the podcast and Nia Evans is very successful. She has five Commonwealth Games medals, one in 2018 and 2022, but also an Olympic silver medal and has held national, European and world titles over a number of events. Most recently, Nia won the Madison at the World Championships in Glasgow, those Super World Championships, alongside teammate Eleanor Barker. Yeah, so let's welcome to the podcast, Nia Evans. Nia, welcome to the pod. Thank you very much for having me. You've had quite a good summer, haven't you, at the World Championships in Glasgow. How was that experience for you, first of all? Yeah, um, pretty mega. It's one of these races, I guess, that you reflect back on for the rest of your life. It's World Championships that in itself is this huge deal. But for me, there was this kind of extra element of the fact that it was in Glasgow, it was a velodrome where I learned to cycle. If you know, if I hadn't gone to, you know, that velodrome, you know, back in, I think it was 2014, I'd never be a cyclist. wouldn't be sat here talking to you guys today. So there was a huge, yeah, just so much extra around that particular event for me. And as much as you say, right, you're not going to let the pressure get to you and all the rest of it, you can't help but feel it. So then to come away with the Madison World title was, um, yeah, it sounds so cliche. It's a bit of a fairy tale. It really is. Uh, so yeah, pretty good summer. <laughs> Yeah, it's not cliche. It's amazing. Congratulations. Like what an incredible achievement. And as you say, to kind of return to Glasgow in a way, defend the title, you know, and win. Yeah, it must have been an incredible feeling. How did you feel when you crossed the finish line? I'm extremely tired. Um, <laughs> no, it, it, oh, it was such an emotional rollercoaster. I'm not sure if you saw the end of the race, but there was, Madison's are chaotic at the best of times. And this yeah, was chaotic. There was a, a bunny hopped over, someone else had crashed. And then the race got neutralized with, I think it was four, it was maybe even three laps to go on the board. And we literally, we were coming in, we had one change to go and we were off the front. And it was like, you're not thinking we've won this, but you're also thinking we kind of wrap this up. <laughs> and then the gun went and it was like, there's going to be a restart. And you're kind of going, you can't, like, they should just let the race unfold for three laps. How, why are you restarting the race? So it was then like, how are they going to restart it? How many laps are they going to be? Are they going to let us have the gap that we had? Or are we going to start as a group? And like all these different things. And yeah, it was a free for all of um, 10 laps restart. And I think we started fairly at the back, which is not a great place to start at Madison. And it was just mental that final 10 laps of going we're in a good place but it, it, it's our title to lose now and you've lost that kind of flow and the dynamic and then teams who've been potentially struggling they've got a chance to get this kind of breather and yeah so when we actually cross the line and then you look at the scoreboard and you think 
I'm, I'm confident we've done enough. I'm confident we have it. But um, yeah, you, you always want that kind of confirmation and you look up the scoreboard and then the crowd just erupted and it's like, yep, we've done it. Um, so yeah, there was just a huge sense of relief and then yeah, euphoria and then fatigue. <laughs> How do you, was there like a precedent beforehand or were you just told there's going to be 10 extra laps? Like, did you know maybe while the race was neutralized that there'd be a lot more to contend with? Not, not a clue. So the so the gun went, so it's like, right, the race is neutralized and nobody wants to be the first person off the track because you're like, are we actually going to have a proper restart or are they going to have a rolling restart? How are they going to do it? I'm not entirely sure. Sometimes they'll, they'll almost let you have like a minute or two to speak to your coach and then they can uh, obviously because it's Madison you, you start on a different side from your teammate so you, you then get kind of separated but this we're like no go go back to the fence straight away be ready to go and we're like but what's happening what you know <laughs> you say be ready to go but we're going in with four laps to go or ten like how's this happening and as I said sometimes when they restart if there's like a big gap they'll let the the gap kind of stand um, and they're like no one big mass thing so yeah, organized chaos is how it felt. I don't know how it looked, but at the time it was just like, what is happening? It looks like chaos. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> don't <laughs> yeah. worry. Picks yeah. off on those vibes. <laughs> yeah. And I think as well, because we were so close. So we're used to having restarts in Madison, but I think when it's, you know, we literally had one change to do. It was just like, what, why, why has the gun gone so late in the race? This is just, it doesn't make any sense. Because even the year before I was racing with Laura, and she crashed with, again, I think it might have been five laps to go or something. Again, we'd have had one one final change before the, the end of the race. And she got taken out by another rider. And the two of them are lying on the, the, the apron and they just let the race continue. So there's a tiny part of me that's thinking, well, last time they didn't restart the race. And there was more laps to go. And then this time they did. So, yeah, who knows? <laughs> That sounds, yeah, like an added mental battle that you might not really have needed um, in an already super intense race. And you talked about your partner there. Well, you had, uh, sorry, this year you had Eleanor Barker. How do you choose your partner? How does that all work in track? So it's not like you just go, oh, I pick you. Um, there's obviously quite a bit to it. And again, we don't even do like rock, paper, scissors. Though sometimes you think it would, be, it would work. Um, being part of the British Cycling Squad is fantastic but it means the, there is a lot of very good riders and it can be quite hard to actually get the selection for, for a given race. So it's about being kind of consistent in training and showing that you're going well. And then it comes down to the coach's discretion and then it actually goes to a selection panel who make the, the final decision of who will do what races. Um, so it's always a little bit tricky coming into competition because you think, well, I think I'm going really well and I want to target this race but I haven't actually been selected for it. And especially for something like the Madison, where it is such a, a partnership and you really need to be on the same page as you as your teammate. You want to do training sessions, you want to you want to race together. And yeah, as I said, it, it, it's it's a blessing and a, a cast with British cycling because some nations it's the same partnership. It's just is 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 always that pair, if you like, like that's a team, that's who's gonna race it. Whereas for us, because we we do have a lot of kind of very good riders it does mean that selection is it is a really big part of it and it definitely 
if you get selected, you know you're going really well. <laughs> so if you're on the start line, you're like, yes, I'm in a very good place. But it, as I said, it, it is this extra kind of stress and pressure. And it does change the dynamic of how you how you build into the event because you're trying out different combinations and different partnerships in training rather than just being like, right, that's our pair. Off you go, do all these training efforts together. It's kind of going, right, we think this is going to be the pair. So you do those efforts, but we're going to run a different pair at a different place. Yeah, so it's, it is a bit of a juggle. Yeah, that's quite a lot. And I mean, if, if you go back to like pre-Glasgow, were you expecting the selection? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I definitely said that I, I wanted to do it and I knew I was going fairly well. So yeah, it, it, it was one of these, of, I felt I was in a good place. I know I'm a very good Madison rider, but you're always going to go, is training going as well as I think it is? Does it reflect it? Because obviously when you're training, you, you, you're carrying this level of fatigue. So you're not really going to show your, your A game in training. So it's this such a kind of fine balance of being going well enough to get selected, but also not compromise your actual race day performance. And then I managed to have uh, yeah a little training crash the week before. And the evening of that, I can remember coming home and kind of starting the end of the bed being like, oh sugar I don't even know if I'll be racing at this stage so that was definitely a bit of a spanner in the works but I bounced back so that was all right but yeah there was definitely that kind of moment of ah this was definitely not in the plan (laughs) (laughs) what happened in the crash or um oh it's just one of these it it was a training effort we're doing team pursuit and there were two teams in squad two squads on the track and um it just there was this huge oscillation of pace and it ended up that I, I was underlapping the wheel of the person in front of me as the pace in front of me came off very quickly. So it, it, it meant that we all kind of constantly ended up and I, I had nowhere to go because I was under the wheel um, as the, the pace slackened. So we clipped the wheels and I, yeah, I went splat. Flung off. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I ended up with some rather spectacular track burn down my leg and um, yeah, bruising and not looking in the best of condition. In terms of injuries itself, is it true that uh, you've sort of came into track cycling through like fell running and then there was like a, was it a knee injury and also your dad's influence that pushed you into cycling? Am I right in saying? Yeah, kind of. So I, I wouldn't really say I was particularly injured from fell running. Um, I think everyone thinks hill running, you cripple your knees. It, it wasn't actually, I'd edge in splints. Um, uh. but I don't think that was so much from the hill run. I think that was from the, the road stuff for training for that. So yeah, at university, so we'll, we'll go back. I did horse riding when I was a youngster, Re- really big into that. And then I got to university and my horse had an accident and she needed some time off to recover from that. And being a typical student, I, I wanted a sport to do, which was cheap. And my mum, who's very sporty, she was like, oh, you should, you should do running. Like, literally, you just need a pair of trainers. And I was like, right, that'll do. So joined the the university running club and I absolutely loved it. And it was it was one of these, like, there was this huge social aspect of it. And also there was, there was running and it probably wasn't that serious. But it, it was great. And I just, I was so fortunate that I just found this group of people that we were so like-minded. And I've still got friends from the club um, today. And I loved it. And I tended to do hill running, whereas a lot of them did more. Like I did the cross country and I did um, some road racing and stuff. But because of my parents, I, I um, tried hill running and loved it and thought it, it was incredible. So, yeah, I did that. And then in my final year of university, I ended up kind of ill, injured. Basically, I'd been 
living the student lifestyle and not looking after myself <laughs> and then still trying to train quite hard and yeah I just ended up a bit yeah fucked from all really. Could you say too many Jaeger bombs was that a thing? <laughs> yeah way too many Jaeger bombs and then trying to go out and like race the next day and then yeah off like three hours sleep and then do a race and then be like ah, I've got like exams okay I'm just gonna have so much Red Bull and caffeine and not sleep to try and cram for these exams. Um, I was gonna say I know lovely. I know the feeling and then you said <laughs> racing after Jaeger bombs and I was like no I don't yeah. know that feeling. <laughs> I mean the, the there will be a huge number of, I probably shouldn't admit to this, but there will be a huge number of races that I rocked up to. And I was probably still um, drunk, never mind hungover. <laughs> I still remember doing this hill race and it was a long hill race. So obviously you get quite dehydrated and there are kind of little water st- stations sometimes, quite often there aren't. Um, but for this one, there, there was one. And I remember thinking, right, I think it was maybe 10, 12k in, there was going to be this water station, which was quite rare. And I just remember, got to get to that, got to get to that, because I was so dehydrated. And then I just remember almost like, not licking my sweat, but like my sweat was kind of dripping down. Oh. And I was like, kind of, oh. you know, because I was so dehydrated. And then I realized that it just tasted of vodka. And I was like, yeah, th- this was no. not a good life choice. Yeah. <laughs> the vodka sweat. Yeah, yeah, oh. it's real. <laughs> That's the sign of a great night. <laughs> oh, fantastic night. Terrible race. Absolutely terrible race. <laughs> and you get one of those moments when I got back after the race and I was like, yeah, I probably shouldn't do that again. <laughs> but you made it to the water station. Yeah, I made it to the water station. We made it around the hill race. I mean, it was, I can't remember exactly. It was, it was something like 26K, but obviously over hills. So yeah. Um, painful. It, painful, big day out. Um, <laughs> It was rough. So unsurprisingly, I wasn't really in the best of condition when I was doing that every other weekend. And yeah, it just ended up that I was actually really anemic and I just couldn't run. Like I remember trying to go for a run and I just couldn't do it. And my dad had always said, you'd actually be better at cycling than running, just your physiology, all the rest of it. And I was like, yeah, okay, dad, whatever. I really like running. Cycling's a bit lame why would I want to do it? I should say that my dad used to, when we, I was younger and we'd go to like um, horse competitions, my dad would say, drive us there and then cycle back. And then my mum would like drive us back or vice versa. So he's always cycled. He was like a classic club cyclist when he grew up. I like, he would cycle out and do like a 10 mile TT and just like that really classic club cyclist. Um, yeah. Now very much a dying breed, unfortunately. So he he grew up cycling and always kind of said that I'd be good at it. And I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. And then when I, when I found, like, I just, I couldn't run and I needed, just my personality type, I needed the, if you like, the outlet and the, the excuse to get away from the books. I was like, right, okay, let's let's give the cycling thing a go. So he had actually found, um, it was like this free bike or that his mate gave him this bike, just like very, very basic. And yeah, I started riding on that and I was like, oh, I can, I can still exercise. I can cycle, whereas I couldn't run. And it was just one of those moments of like, ah, oh, this is, this is really cool. But at that stage I was like, right, this is going to keep me fit. And then when I can get back to the stage of running, I'll be able to transition back in and that'll be great. And I remember doing, it was like the inter-counties um, cross country around Hollywood Park and it went all right, but it, it wasn't great. And I was like, mm. and at that time, my dad booked me on to do, the track accreditation at Glasgow Velodrome. And again, it was one of these of, I was like, right, I'll, I'll do it because 
I'll try anything, you know, I'll give anything a go. Why not? But I had never been in a velodrome. I mean, I think I'd seen track racing on the TV, like when he, say, watched it at the Olympics and I've been kind of like going past. But I've never, never really watched track cycling, didn't really have a clue. I'd never had clipping pedals, never been on a fixed gear bike. And I was just like, yeah, okay. And he's like, you'll love it. And I was like, oh, yeah, well, well, we'll see. I'll I'll do it as much as anything to appease you and say that I've, you know, ridden a velodrome. And I did it. And yeah, as much as it annoys me, he was right. I, I loved it. It, it was really fun. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, isn't it annoying our parents are usually always right? <laughs> I know. It's like, oh. And then I have to keep telling people the story about this time. Dad was like, right on two scores. I was like, brilliant. <laughs> I bet he loves it. I bet he's like, absolutely oh, yeah. <laughs> It's like, told yourself. And it's like, yeah, get lost. <laughs> um, yeah, so I completed my accreditation and I did some, what was it, track league. And then it, so this was my final year at university. And I don't know if you've come across Bucks. Mm, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So... Bucks say, so I've done Bucks for like the riding team and the running team. And the standards of that is like really high, like really high. So I can assume cycling was going to be similar. And through doing the track league, I, I kind of fell into speaking to some people from Glasgow University and like, oh, can you come and do Bucks? Can you do Bucks? Like we're desperate for more people to come and do Bucks. And I was like, oh, like I haven't raced. Like I am the definition of clueless. Like <laughs> I don't think that's a good idea. But like, no, 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 please. Like the standards actually really low. It's just more about participation. We could fun, whatever. And I was like, oh, yeah, why not? Let's do it. Should be laugh. And yeah, I, I did it, and I, I was clueless. I think I actually came away with medals, which is more like solid work. <laughs> yeah, well, no, it's, it's very much a sign of uh, the standard of bucks for cycling at that stage. Um, because every so often you get like one or two people who are really, really good, but the actual kind of general standard tends to be not brilliant. And um, sorry, all buck cyclists, but. And Bucks, just to, so for listeners are aware, I'd like, so it's like the inter-university competitions. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So he did that. And then I guess it was one of these right place, right time moments because through Glasgow University, I started um, hanging out and doing a little bit of cycling with this other girl, Jess, who actually then went on to be a sprinter for Hong Kong. Oh, wow. She's now retired. But we both... Or she she got invited along to some of the Scottish cycling um, sessions after the Commonwealth Games because if you like the Scottish cycling team were, were having a bit of downtime after the commies and Scottish cycling still had the track time. So they kind of opened up the sessions to just keen people who'd been showing quite a lot of interest, especially kind of down the sprint line. And they'd said up to, to Jess about going along and if she knew anybody else who'd be interested, she said, oh, do, do, do you fancy it to me? And I was like, yeah, all right, be a bit of fun. So... I did it and then got asked to to join the sprint program, which is quite funny. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, because it feels like quite a relaxed approach to, to like, you know, becoming a professional. Do you think it's that approach that's kind of helped you get to where you are now? Or ha- if you'd started from a younger age, do you think you'd be a different cyclist now? I would definitely be a, a very different cyclist. I don't know whether I would be a more successful cyclist, but I would definitely be a very different cyclist. It's funny because every so often part of me kind of thinks, oh, I wish I got into it at a young age. And I, I see kind of youngsters and I'm thinking, oh, I wish I had that opportunity or whatever else. And then I kind of think, well, yes and no. I've also come across quite a few really talented cyclists who've actually quit and retired at a younger age before than I'd even started, if you like. So I think as much as, it would have been really nice. I kind of go, well, A, I can't change it, so there's no point in losing sleep over it. And B, 
I think I've got this kind of resilience and because I've experienced life, you know, I worked as a vet, I've had a proper job. I know what it's like. It then means when, <laughs> when it's piss and rain and it, you've got a four hour road ride to do and it's windy and it's cold and you're really tired because you did five hours a day before and your kit's like dry, but still kind of soggy and you're just going, oh, I've got to go out. You think, yeah, but it's actually better than having a proper job. And off you go. Um, so I can often rationale and, and kind of reason things out. And I think that's one of my huge strengths that I have because I have, if you like, experienced life on the other side. I know what it's like. And it then means I can, I can be much more grateful and well-rounded as a cyclist, I'd like to think. Not necessarily. Not the whole time. Um, so, yeah, it's, as I kind of said, it's like I can't change it. So I've just got to embrace it and make the most of it um, and put a positive spin on it. But then when I do see kind of young superstars, I'm like, oh, got the, all these opportunities. And then I think, well, you know, you, you maybe not got the life experience to, to make the most of the opportunities. Yeah, I think that's a really nice way of putting it. Like, it's never too late to give it a good crack. You know what I mean? Like, anyone can pick up something and actually be really good at it. You don't have to start when you're like two years old or whatever. <laughs> putting your alikra and sent off. <laughs> and yeah, because I think so many people get kind of put off, not just cycling, but so many sports of like, oh, I've not, you know, I've not been a child potager. You know, my parents didn't take me when I was, a, you know, in nappies or whatever it is to, to learn this sport. <laughs> and you think, well, actually, no, because y- you learn all these other skills, which you can adapt. And then I think there's almost this kind of fear of going into this new environment that you haven't experienced and you haven't grown up in. And it can be really daunting and can be really off-putting. And a lot of the time you do look like an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) I I definitely look like an idiot on multiple occasions. Um, But you just got to kind of embrace it and then hopefully fall in love with the new sport. Because, yeah, definitely people put off, you know, if if they're not some young superstar. And even if you've been cycling from a young age, but you've never quite made it, it might just be that you've not found like your right niche or the, the, the right, right way to approach it. Or you might just need to find a different sport. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it's just having that. There's so much fear of failure. I think because Evan sees like in social media, Evan's having this kind of perfect life and everything's going well and it's all great. And it's going, well, no, you, you should be able to try stuff. And yeah, it might not work out, but also it might work out far better than you'd ever imagined. You know, when I when I first started cycling, I very much started out to keep fitness to go back into running. And then it progressed to, oh, well, this is quite a fun hobby. I'll, I'll see if I can get on the Scottish cycling programme. Then it's like, oh, well, this is quite fun. Let's see if I can get to Commonwealth Games. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I can get on British cycling. And then you're like, oh, I'm paid to ride my bike. I did not see that coming. Okay, <laughs> let's let's go with it. And then all of a sudden you start picking up kind of titles and, and then you kind of suddenly realise, actually, I'm quite good at this. And I never I never set out to think I'm going to be an Olympic cyclist. I just set out to enjoy it and have fun and see see how far I can get which turns out it's quite far so there's this wonderful thing about cyclists we can never admit when we don't know something and it's just like me and ketones so someone would mention ketones and I'd be all like yeah I know what that means it's basically just an energy supplement and it is but as I've dived into a bunch of research from ketones experts hvmn turns out there's a lot more to it so it sort of works like this Usually we burn carbs when we cycle, then fat is a backup. Carbs is easy, chuck it straight in the furnace. But for fat to become fuel, we need to turn it into glycerol and fatty acids first. I've got low levels of ketones in my bloodstream as I speak. But what HVMN scientists have done is to work out how to literally make ketones and to put them into a sports drink. 
they call it HVMN ketone IQ and you can drink it during a ride or before a ride. And the idea is that instead of burning carbs, then fat, then ketones when you're cycling, with ketone IQ, your body gets a big helping of energy-rich ketones to use alongside the carbs and fat all at once. So it's kind of three sources of energy, not two. So it's the reason why I've heard about World Tour teams like Jumbo Visma using ketones. They can help you effectively ride faster for, for longer. Right now, you can save 30% off your first subscription order of Ketone IQ at hvmn.com slash cyclist. That's hvmn.com slash cyclist for 30% off. And if you want to learn more about how it all works, HVMN's got a brilliant podcast that's worth a listen called Health Via Modern Nutrition with Dr. Lat Mansour. It can be found at all the usual places. Don't forget that the Cyclist Magazine podcast isn't just a podcast. The clue is in the magazine bit. We were a magazine first and we still are. We're a monthly magazine. And right now you can subscribe for three issues for £5. Just check out cyclist.co.uk. And there's also a really quite impressive little offer at the moment that we've got running, which is subscribe and get a sportful hot pack gilet, which is a very, very light gilet, which apparently, I know I've got the jacket version, and that had 60 kilometers of yarn in it because that's how thin the thread is. And this is a gilet version. So it's probably, you know, it hasn't got the arms, but it's probably got about 40K in it. But they're really, really good. They're weatherproof, windproof, all that jazz. I can absolutely vouch for it. It's a £75 free gift for subscribing, ladies and gents. So check out cyclist.co.uk and subscribe to our lovely magazine now. And talking about like Olympics and stuff, obviously it's Paris 2024 uh, next year. How are you feeling about it? Um, yeah, excited, apprehensive, um, all, all the adjectives. It's come out really fast. It was, it was Tokyo and then the next year it was Commonwealth Games um, in kind of Birmingham slash London. So it's loosely speaking a, a home Commonwealth Games. And then it was well to summer, which obviously was huge for me. And then it's Paris next year. So it's just been like, Oh, it's been such a great, for a track cyclist, for a British track cyclist, and even a Scottish track cyclist, actually, it's just been such an incredible couple of years of just like, boom, 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 all these major events. So, so looking forward to to 2024. 2025 is going to have to pull out the stops to try and match the the one that I've been having. But yeah, it's, there's just so much excitement. And I think for some sports, the Olympics maybe, so say, I'm going to pick on like football or rugby. Like it, it's not such a big thing for them, but for cycling, it's huge. Like, yes, world championships is absolutely massive, but unless you're actually a kind of cyclist, th- there's not such a kind of crossover. Whereas so many people who are not into cycling watch the Olympics and get, get behind it and get involved. And I feel for track cycling, it's just such a, such a huge thing. And you get so much more. It's not, a, I, I don't do it for recognition, but there is just so much more recognition around being an Olympic athlete and going to the Olympics and all the hype around it. So yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to it because obviously Tokyo was a little bit of a weird experience just with COVID of the delay. Is it going to happen? Isn't it going to happen? Right, it's going to happen, but there's not going to be kind of crowds and it's going to, it, it was just a little bit of a surreal experience. Like I think the Olympics is a surreal experience as it is. And then you, you add this kind of um, pandemic on it and it, it makes it very bizarre so i would love to to be able to kind of experience paris as more a more traditional olympics so yeah that's uh quite a target 
It's exciting. And just touching on there about the coverage of track cycling, what can be done to improve it? Like, what do you think needs to happen? How can more people be aware of it, you know, get to know all the different niches within track cycling, if that's the right word? Um, Because I've never, I've never even been on the track, didn't know anything about track cycling until joined the company, you know, or actually watched it at the Olympics. But that's that's the only thing. I'm like, woo, Chris Hoy, you know, how how can other people get involved? I think it's exposure. It's the same as so many things. If people are aware of it, they'll then start to, to follow it and then hopefully see see what a cool sport it is and then that will encourage them to actually go to the velodrome because I think going into a velodrome if you've never been it it's it's quite an experience because it's hot and kind of humid it's so freaking loud and obviously there is so much happening you know the tv coverage it shows the front of the race or where the main action is but there's races within races and it it is really quite difficult, I think, for spectators to actually get a feel of it because there is so much happening. And I think that can be quite daunting. But I think it's actually experiencing it in real life makes it a lot easier to comprehend because you can watch it rather than watching what the um, the TV cameras put across. But I think it's just getting more exposure and getting more publicity around it. There's the Track Champions League, which is kind of taking place. And that's obviously trying to make strides in, in making it more spectator-friendly. The racing is it's quite simplified well it's not simplified it's an elimination and a scratch race which from a spectator's point of view if you like probably the easiest two to follow of first one across the line and last one across the line is like so it's quite simple for me i prefer madison points race but i think they're kind of going no no we'll we'll ease the the spectators in and keep it quite simple (laughs) but there's so many different kind of elements and each race is such a i think that's maybe why it's off-putting because each race is quite different you know if you watch swimming yeah, you've got the you've got the different strokes, but it's it's still first one to touch the wall wins. It's 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 straightforward and running it's first one over the line. Yes, it's different distances, but it's it's the same thing. Whereas obviously for track cycling, it's different distances. It's completely different race dynamics. It's is it a single person? Is it Madison pairs? Is it team pursuit? Is it, you know is it sprint or is it endurance? And it's just I'm lost already. <laughs> yeah, there's so much to it. I'm overwhelmed. <laughs> and yet. To me, I think it's it's fairly straightforward, but obviously I've been doing it for quite a few years now. So I think it's it's just trying to get some more exposure and commentary of just explain the event at the beginning and say, right, this is a scratch race, first person across the right line wins, off we go. And then this is a points race and there's points available every 10, off they go, go. And just kind of break it down and just trying to increase the the exposure and the presence of it. Because you you look at like the Tour of Britain and how many spectators and fans come out to watch it. And yet they're just going to watch, depending where they pick, but the peloton either whiz past super, super fast or go fairly slowly if they're going up a hill. And yet you think about track cycling, you you know, you sit there for an afternoon or an evening and you can watch five, six, seven different races all unfold and all will be nail-biting and pretty dramatic. And I think it's just trying to say, you know, this is a, a huge sport and Britain's actually really successful at it. Go and watch it. And actually there's quite a few different velodromes scattered across the UK. Go and give it a go. It's um, quite surprising how steep the banking is. I don't think the TV does it justice. And then you go and you ride it and you're like, oh God. <laughs> no, I remember when I was like a teenager and I went to the Manchester Track Velodrome for the first time. First off, completely understand what you mean by it being hot. Like, it's so warm (laughs) everywhere. It's such a good winter sport. Like, you're going to go and watch sport and be really warm and cosy. Brilliant. (laughs) Yeah, exactly that. But also, like, staring down at the banking 
and if you've not been on the track before, like actually racing, you're just like, oh my God, how on earth do these people stay upright, let alone actually get on it the first time? It's insane. But it's always something that, say, you know, my friends that don't watch cycling, they always comment on how do people do that on the velodrome? How are they track cyclists? How do they do this? It's such a wonderful, like, discipline within cycling, I think. I mean, I would agree, but obviously I'm somewhat biased. So, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I've watched these two people. Last year I went to the Lee Valley Velodrome and I watched the, I don't know what the race was, forgive me, but basically these two guys were doing the track stand. Yeah, so that would be probably like a sprint. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they were just standing on their bikes, like watching each other. And all of us were like, what? How? It's obviously so steep. And then suddenly they sprint off. And obviously on this fixed gear bike, on a massive gear, you're like, how How did you achieve that? What is there like a competition between people of the longest track stand? Is that a thing? Um, so in UCI racing, no. You're allowed to track stand. I mean, you're allowed to track stand in any event, but obviously in an endurance event, not really useful. Um, so you'll see the sprinters will do it in a match sprint, but you'll also notice there's a commissar at the bottom of the track who will only let them stand for, I'm not actually sure how long it is, maybe it's 10 seconds or something. And then we'll just say, no, no, come on, like, <laughs> hurry up, hurry up, get on with it. Um, people have not paid to sit and watch you two just stand about all day. Um, we've got other stuff to do, you know? Because um, the sprinters would, they're lazy people. They, they they would just sit and track stand for hours. But no, if you watch the six-day cycling, so the six-day cycling is like this whole different category of track cycling which I guess is where it originated and it's much more party atmosphere and spectator friendly and the track center is not nations and bikes getting prepped it's people drinking beer and having a euro disco kind of thing but they will do what's called the longest lap which is basically you track stand and everyone's line like you've got I don't know 15 20 people all track standing together. And then at some point, don't know when, the commissar will fire his gun and then everyone has to sprint for the lap and then it's the first person off the line. So there's this dynamic of you've got to, you can't cross the line before the gun goes. So you've got to track stand. And if you roll over the line, you're out. So you're holding your track stand, holding your track stand. And if you're confident, you go right up to the line because then you're in the best place to start the lap. But if you're not very good, you go at the back because it then means you've got like wiggle room. So it's quite funny to watching different people of like different confidences of like, if you're really confident, yeah, like you go high and you're right at the front, ready for the gun. Um, And if you're not, you're like weaving really slowly, hoping the gun is going to go. And then, yeah, it goes and everyone's then like, ah, turn a pedal. And it is really funny to watch. Not so fun to do unless you're actually good at track standing. Because <laughs> again, it's, it's it's something because it's just like a bit of a fun event. We never we never train it, and then they'll be like, "Okay, we're going to do a longest laugh," and you're like, oh, "Okay, sure, I'll give that one a go." <laughs> I guess <laughs> if I have to, but yeah, it's, it's good fun. If we were to take the Madison away, like just for just for a little bit, you know, keep it keep it nice and safe over there. What other discipline, I guess, would you most like to? Probably not try because you've probably like experienced them before. But which one would you think that's a bit of me? On the track or just cycling disciplines in general? Oh, I'll say both. I'll say both. We've got time. <laughs> <laughs> um, so go- going back to my, my sprint days, I did enjoy queuing because um, I guess it's the downy takes you up to speed and then it's three laps of slightly cagey, but also pretty fast and 
sketchy. I do I do enjoy a points race. That's that's quite fun. The, it's, it's one of these. It's like trying to say, you know, who's your favourite child? You know, if you were to ask a parent, because <laughs> um, don't worry, my parents have a clear answer, and it's me, Kelly, and Neil. <laughs> <laughs> Just say from somewhere. That's a bit awkward. Um, but it, it's like each different discipline has like different. Yeah, different bits that you enjoy. So, like, I do enjoy the kind of the, the points race. I enjoy like team pursuiting because obviously you got like you got teammates, um, so that's quite good fun. Individual pursuit, I have like this weird love hate relationship because I love it because it's such an honest event of where you're at form wise and just like yeah, it's you against the clock. But also, I hate it because it's you against the clock and it hurts a lot <laughs> and there's no hiding. Like, if you're having a bad day you're having a bad day. Um, whereas if sometimes in a bunch race, like you can be having a bad day and not feeling physically that good, but tactically you can just be like having a blinder and you get away with it and get a really good result. Yeah. And then outside of track cycling, this is where probably coming into sport a bit later, I haven't, I see the youngsters who like they've done cyclocross, they've done mountain biking, that, you know, they, they've, they've done all the different disciplines. I've done time trialing and road racing. <laughs> so I, I would love to try like some mountain biking. It's definitely something I'd like to give a go, but also I'm fairly confident that I would think that I'd be far better than it. I am. And I go flying down the mountain and crash. So I'm, I'm yeah, not doing that one until I retire. Fair enough. That sounds like a, yeah, valid. I mean, just on that, obviously we chat a lot about cycling, but what do you do when you're not on the bike? What do you do in the off season? Um, so this off season, I was, I went, um, hung out with my friend and we did some hill walking and eating some nice food and just normal human life activities, which as a cyclist, sometimes you, you kind of, you lose track of because, because being a cyclist, it's, it's not like you can clock in and be like, oh, right. It's six o'clock on a Friday. I'm going to go out to the pub and then I'll, I'll come back on a Monday morning and go back to being a cyclist. Everything you do has like knock-on effects and implications. So when it gets to kind of off-season, it, it's just kind of going back to, to normal life. Um, I wouldn't say anything close to what uh, normal life was when I was a student. Um, I do not think I could survive if I tried to, to do what I used to do then. And then, yeah, the rest of off-season, I, I went up to, to my parents. I've got a kind of small holding, um, so hung out up there and... Somehow got roped into basically redecorating most of the house. So my, my decorating skills have come on leaps and bounds. <laughs> Many talents, we're yeah. here for it. <laughs> um, and then the, the rest of the time when, like, if I get a rest day, I've got a, a whippet. So I tend to take him out for nice walks. Do you ever miss the vet aspect side of things? Yeah, I think I definitely did a lot more when I first started as a cyclist. I actually felt really guilty because I had all this free time and I was like, I, I should be doing something with this free time. When I was working as a vet in cycling, I, I literally did not have any, I was either working, training or sleeping. That was my life. So all of a sudden I went into this environment where work had been removed and I had all these extra free hours in the day and I felt so guilty of like recovering. Like I sit and watch TV. I No, that's I, like, I hadn't watched TV in years. It was such a bizarre experience. Um, and I, yeah, I missed it a lot. I really did miss it. And now I, I miss certain bits <laughs> and so I don't miss the on-call um, and I don't miss like sometimes you, you get really difficult owners who are like oh well I read this on Google and you're like great thanks I'm <laughs> yeah, now going to spend the next 10 minutes trying to explain why my vet degree knows more than Google and obviously sometimes it, like it could be quite traumatic and emotional you know 
when things weren't going so well. But I, I used to really love surgery. That that's the kind of the, the bit that I, I miss the most and almost the, the the feeling you get when you've been able to help someone and make that animal better. That that was a really nice feeling. So I do miss that. But I think it's something that I'll go back to, but just not for a while. <laughs> yeah. Get Paris 2024 out of the way. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's one of these I keep thinking, because every so often, because, because I am older, Evan likes to bring it up and be like, oh, so how long have you got left in your career? And I'm just like, if I was 24, wow. like you wouldn't be asking this question. And if you look at my time in sport, it's still a lot, lot less than so many athletes. So I always go and say, well, I've only been like full time for, I mean, it, it's, it's getting reasonable like now. Um, but for quite a while, it was like, you know, 30 years, whatever. I was like, why, why would I be planning to retire? I mean, now it's six years. So yeah, it's, 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 it's adding up. Um, but it, it's still very much, I still feel that I'm developing and learning because I came into it late because I, you know, I came in knowing nothing. It was a very steep learning curve and obviously it's, it's much more gradual now, but I'm still developing. I'm still learning. And it's, I've, I've no plans to retire at this stage of, I keep, thinking right go to Paris and then they were like oh Commonwealth Games was that it because it's got whoever is supposed to be hosting it said that they won and then there were rumors that it might be held by go back to the Gold Coast again I was like I like the Gold Coast I want to go to the Gold Coast so then like, <laughs> Sounds yeah, nice. it's like sign me up so then you're like well that's in 2026 and then you're like oh there'll be like a good world championships and then there'll be this and then you yeah and then all of a sudden you're like there'll be two years to LA is that doable and then you're like oh whatever we'll we'll, we'll take it as it comes but yeah it's quite funny how you get kind of sucked along of like oh but I want to do that one I definitely want to give that one a go so yeah it's quite fun Uh, it sounds epic and obviously you've got to work out how many sprint sessions you've got until (laughs) LA that's obviously the key the key number here (laughs) but Nia thank you so much for coming on the podcast it's been lovely chatting to you Um, and good luck thank you very much I've had a really good time Oh, Nia, that was absolutely brilliant. Thank you to Nia for coming on the podcast. Um, I've learned a lot about track. That was awesome. Also, really liked how she talks about coming to sport at a at maybe later age than people might first feel is necessary. And you can try loads of different sports. It doesn't really matter how old you are. You can still give it a go. Yeah, it applies to both, I'd say, grassroots level and maybe professional level. Because especially in cycling, you see the youngest people, say Remco Evanapol, Tom Pidcock, achieving these really impressive (laughs) feats so young that it almost, it can serve as an inspiration, but also kind of leave you thinking, oh, (laughs) I'll be nowhere near that. I'm like five years older than them or something. So it's always nice to kind of just remember that you can give whatever you want to try and you don't have to be a Olympic gold medalist at the end of it. You can do it for the hell of it. <laughs> it helps though if you are. That's always, oh, of yeah, it's always yeah. Um, yeah, even in football, because like Jude Bellingham plays for Real Madrid and he's like 20, 21 or something. He's absolutely smashing it on the world stage. And you're like, oh God, he's 20. I'm not 20 anymore. Do you know what I mean? Like, am I past my sell by date? But no, you're not. But what about you, Robin? Have you ever, like, are you thinking of picking up another sport? I remember you saying you want to try gravel cycling. Have you been out there? I have not been out there yet, but you also, to be honest, I really want to give downhill a try. And I feel like, so Nia actually, she said then, she was like, maybe I'd overestimate my own abilities in different events. And I feel like me and her are very similar on that same point. Because with downhill, you've just got to go for it. You can't really hesitate, I think. 
I don't have any experience, but I just, oh, there's so much going on. I feel like if you hesitate, it kind of messes up the flow of the whole thing. And um, I'll back myself. I'd say, yeah, maybe I could do it with some stabilizers and someone holding my hand throughout the course because they're quite scary. No, I would, it'd be fun. Yeah, you just need someone to like give you a little bit of guidance and then who knows what, like you might be really good. You, might, you might see me at the next Olympics. You've <laughs> <laughs> got time, you've got, you know, 2024, so it could happen. How about you? Have you come to, to anything a bit later? Yeah, I guess, to be honest, I think I kind of came to cycling a little bit later because when I grew up, I was playing tennis and hockey and netball, like to quite high level and I absolutely loved it. And then I, like, I played all sorts of sports. But then when I went to uni, I was kind of like, actually... I'm going to try lacrosse because it was a bit more chilled. I didn't want to, basically, you know, when you play sports at a really high standard, it gets a bit intense and it takes over your life. I was kind of like, I want to go to uni and I want a bit of a break and I want to have fun. <laughs> so I joined lacrosse, had loads of fun. And then I went my year abroad and I learned basketball. So I came back, played basketball. And that was so fun. I played basketball and lacrosse. That was great fun. And then, um, and yeah, and then sort of left uni did loads of other, like always like ran and tennis and whatever else but then in COVID I always like cycled more of as a commuter sort of hobbyist and then yeah sort of COVID hit kind of COVID hit I'd say and that actually made me cycle a bit more because I didn't then did this big old trip uh on my own like a solo bikepacking trip with not a clue what I was doing and it kind of all spiraled from there and then I also used to hate running when I was a kid I, honestly cross country I was at the back like crying yeah wishing wishing I didn't say I was this. Over. yeah massively and now I'm like oh, get me on the trails I absolutely love them and I don't know it's weird like growing up's weird <laughs> growing up is weird I think that's, that's it. the moral that's of the story. the life lesson from the podcast today. <laughs> Growing up is so weird. It is, isn't it? It's strange. And I feel like, yeah, you never know what sport's going to tickle your fancy. Yeah. Like, give everything a go. But yeah, I think, yeah, who knows what track. Yeah, it's a pretty cool sport. I want to try it. Come to Manchester, mate. We'll go on the velodrome. And Nia's in Manchester as well. I <laughs> so completely we'll did not realise that. We'll all go on the velodrome Maybe together. she'll give us a little, some guidance and push us on the track or whatever we need to do. We can do a track stand against her. Um, I'm going to wager that I'm going to lose. <laughs> I, was, I was about to say, yeah, I'll fall over and then accidentally wipe you out at the same time. <laughs> oh, I love that. Oh, that was absolutely cracking. We should say that, obviously, this is a Cyclist Magazine podcast, but don't forget, check out the website. We've got some really cool stuff happening loads of big rides epic rides a place you can go outside of the velodrome as well which we're all for um so yeah check in in a fortnight we'll see you then bye don't forget that the cyclist magazine podcast isn't just a podcast the clue is in the magazine bit we were a magazine first and we still are we're a monthly magazine and right now you can subscribe for three issues for five pounds just check out cyclist.co.uk and there's also a really quite impressive little offer at the moment that we've got running which is subscribe and get a sportful hot pack gilet which is a very very light gilet which apparently i know i've got the jacket version and that had 60 kilometers of yarn in it because that's how thin the thread is. And this is a gilet version. So it's probably, you know, it hasn't got the arms, but it's probably got about 40K in it. But they're really, really good. They're weatherproof, windproof, all that jazz. I can absolutely vouch for it. It's a £75 free gift for subscribing, ladies and gents. So check out cyclist.co.uk and subscribe to our lovely magazine now.